All right, well, good morning, everyone, and um, want to welcome you again to Rose Coast Baptist Church, particularly those who are just joining us. You've caught us in the middle. The ringing might be because of um, every other microphone has to be turned down. Maybe that. Testing one, two. Test, 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 test. Much better. Yeah. I think it's good. See how you go. And then, um, oh, just as long as my works, yeah. But I know how annoying it is to find, to hear this ringing while uh, the preacher, you know, teaches. Um, what I was saying is, you've caught us in the middle of a three week series, which I've themed around, oh, I've titled it Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Therefore, since we're in the middle, we're on week two, just to remind you that uh, obviously the theme verse of being fearfully and wonderfully made is found in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14, saying, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. And so the question we're trying to cover or the objection we recover, or the doubt that we're trying to solve this morning is that, you know, how or why, what, what truths are there that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? What, what parts of scripture tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Not just the reality of us knowing that each of us is unique in the sense that all of us have the exact, um, the exact, the, <laughs> uh, have a unique and different thumbprint, even if we're twins, that's one of a kind. And so the title for this morning's message is part two of saying five truths that you are somebody. Now, last week we covered truth number one, that you were planned for God's pleasure, which reminded us that God takes pleasure in us. How many of us do doubt that sometimes? How many of us just go through life thinking, hmm, I wonder what God is thinking of us? Number two, you were formed for God's family. And so we went into the significance of being part of a church family. And then we explored the five different levels of fellowship that you can have with a church family that God wants us to have. Sadly, on a Sunday, we just resort or just feel content at level one, being in the place where we just share, share our experiences. But there are four other levels and they become deeper and deeper. And I just wonder how many Christians out there that are just at that first level of fellowship. They don't, ex they don't have or able to share that deep sense of belonging with one another. And so if you want to know what those other four levels and listen to that message, which is available online now, we're going through two more truths. And number three is you were created to become 
Christ-like. You were created to become Christ-like. Now, if you were here during Easter, you might find that confusing because at Easter, when I went through 10 truths about who we are in Christ, number eight was you are already Christ-like. You are already Christ-like. And the verse that I use to enforce that truth is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Just read it carefully, but pay particular attention to the last few words. Herein is love made perfect with us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, and so if you're not familiar with 1 John, he's talking about as Jesus is, even so are we in this world. As Jesus is, we are. So when we come to um, this truth of God creating us to become Christ-like, it's in the sense that our purpose here on earth is to become Christ-like with our conduct. Uh, the King James Version uses a word, become Christ-like in our conversation. And so when you read that word in the King James, it doesn't just mean your words that come out of your mouth. It means your lifestyle, how you conduct yourself, how you behave how you live. And so we're created with a purpose of living, conducting ourselves just as Christ did. What we call this is maturity, growth. And this is what we promote every single morning as I do my Level Up Our Face segment. The question I have on the board is, does God want us to grow in our faith? Hopefully the obvious answer is yes. But therefore we've got to question, why are we so content in remaining so spiritually immature? Or not to put on ourselves, let's just put on other people. Why are so many Christians just content with them? Just, you know, they're just satisfied that they trust Jesus Christ in their, as their Lord and Savior, but they don't want to grow in their faith. They're just happy being spiritual babies. Just like the church in Corinth. Another word for spiritual babies is carnal. They're carnal. They're, they're, they're still saved, but they're carnal Christians. Carnally minded, but not in here. So the scripture, and there's many scriptures, but the main one I want to focus on today, not to go through necessarily, but just to give you a reality check that um, in case someone does ask you, well, how do I know God is not um, uh, satisfied with, with me just remaining a spiritual baby or a babe in Christ. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, and I encourage you to turn, if you have your Bibles, 
I have it on the screen though, because I'll be reading a number of verses, but it's in small print because I wanted to fit it on the same slide. And I am going to read it all. I'm going to read it all, so you can read along in your copy of the word. But Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, as I read through it, answer the question, what does God desire from us as Christians? What do you believe his purpose is as Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 starts off by saying, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work and then I could go into Romans 12 saying how we're all part of the one body talking about a local congregation, by the way, not the universal church, a local body of believers. And this is why we say when one person doesn't do their part or when one member doesn't pull their weight, when one person is weakened then the whole body is weakened. But the goal here, you can see it a number of times, growth to become mature. So what do you say to someone if church participation is low on their priority list? What do you say to someone? There are a lot of Christians out there, church is not on their priority list. They would do something else on a Sunday morning over going to church. But what do you say to that? Well, I'd refer them back to this passage. And I'd say, how else do you grow in your faith if Ephesians 4 instructs us that we can only do it together? First of all, it's done primarily through a, a, those gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Then my job is to come in and to, to equip you to do the work of service so that you are built up, so that you are matured. So what I'm saying is, how do you do that if you just keep to yourself? It's virtually impossible, is it not? And this is why 
We, it's so important to gather together on a regular basis. So this is what you might like to challenge maybe a friend or a loved one with. If you know that they're, they're saved, they're a Christian, they trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, but just church, not really there on the priority list, not really on the radar. The next question I have is, how do you know that your faith is maturing? How do you know? Like if I if I ask you, do you believe you're a you're a, a mature Christian? Do you believe you your faith is is mature? How would you respond? And so, firstly, I think the error that we find ourselves making is. that we equate maturity with knowledge. This is a mistake. This is a mistake where if we think that we're going to read our Bibles to, we could even say, increase our knowledge of the grace of God to increase um, our doctrine so we won't be like a baby tossed to and fro. We have to be firm in our, in our understanding. But to do that just to gain knowledge is not the same as maturing in your faith. And this is why I believe Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter, but in the second verse he says, if I had the gift of prophecy, for instance, or and if I let's just say I understood all of God's secret plans, and let's just say I possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. I would be nothing. In other words, there's no point. There's no point to having your knowledge. There's no point to having all that faith. And so please don't equate knowledge with maturity. Because I do get worried sometimes when I hear conversations on a Sunday morning that are happening. Here we are expressing to each other what we know, how much we know, making sure that what I know that you know. I need to warn you that what you believe is wrong. And doing that to maybe someone that you don't even know on a Sunday morning. I'm just telling you now, Sunday morning is not the time for that. Sunday morning is a time to reach out to people, get to know them, so that maybe you can meet with them during the week and say, hey, have you thought about this on what you believe? Let's show the love first. Let's get to a certain level of relationship with each other so we can share truths and build one another up through that knowledge. Because I'm saying knowledge is important. We have to know sound doctrine. But it seems sometimes on our radar, that's more important than showing love. And yes, you might say, Tim, but at the same time, 
I'm showing love by warning these people that what they're believing is wrong. In order to warn someone or in order for them to listen to you, again, that relationship has to be built. Can't be done on a Sunday morning. And you don't know who's coming through these doors. We have visitors all the time. Some come from other churches. Some come from a background where they haven't been to church for a number of years. Some from a background where they haven't even been to church at all. And they just feel God leading them to say, hey, go to this church. I've heard many of those stories. And just think what it would do to that person if they're hearing a particular doctrine from some random person that doesn't mean anything in the end. So here's three, three signs that your faith is maturing. Your love for others is growing. Your love for others is growing. That's, that's a sign of maturity. Now, I've chosen three, and I'm not saying it's an exhaustive list, but these are three that I see as the, the, the main primary um, indicators that we are mature in our faith, that we have a faith of maturity. How do I, why do I say your love for others is growing? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24, for instance, said, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I don't think I have to preach this morning the truth that God wants us to love others. But I believe it's a pretty strong indicator that it's a sign that we are a mature Christian. But take, for instance, even this verse, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. How many of us can say that we've done that every day of our lives? <laughs> it's just a reminder, because I confess, I'm the first one to confess, no. <laughs> there are times where I'm tempted just to think of myself. I need that downtime, even though this person might need me. Number two, not just that your love for others is growing, but your trust in God is growing. Now, if you're in this room and you're, um, you're here with the purpose of worshipping Jesus Christ, or you're here with the purpose of getting together with like-minded Christians and, and, and wanting to be built up, then I'm taking it that you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe and trust that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the sacrifice that was needed to pay the punishment for your sin. And you believe that because Jesus Christ proved himself to be that worthy sacrifice by raising from the dead. You trust that. But is your trust in God for other things, for smaller things growing? Take, for instance, um, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse or these verses. 
And then it says, in all your ways, all your ways, submit to him. I like the word. In your word, version, it might say, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. He will show you what to do. Do you think that's just to do with salvation? I don't think so. I think God just doesn't want us to stay there where we trust him for our salvation. He wants us to pursue that further and trust him with everything else, our finances, our education, our shelter, every provision that we need, our jobs, our everything. So is your trust in God growing? Are you trusting more and more each day as you live and walk with him? And then three, your obedience to God is growing. Your obedience to God is growing. And this one's the interesting one because on Wednesday night, I proposed a question. I asked them, do you believe we have the power to behave just like Jesus did? Just have a think about that. And I wasn't talking about being able to just go to that blind person and say, bam, you can now see, okay? I'm talking about behavior as in not sinning. And so a better way of rephrasing that question I thought later on is preparing for this message because it goes with this obedience to God is growing. Think about this for a moment. Do we have the ability to live a sinless life? Think about that for a moment. Do we have the ability to live a sinless life? <laughs> While you're thinking about that question, I just want to give a couple of verses for you to think about. First one is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Notice how it's a spiritual blessing, not an earthly blessing. Today we're asking for earthly blessings today during prayer. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Notice the past tense and notice how it's to those who are in Christ. In other words, you could say that we have everything that we need to do what God desires us to do. Does God desire us to sin? No. Therefore, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing to enable us 
to not sin. Number two, Galatians 5 verse 16, Paul gives us an instruction to help us avoid sinning. He says, walk by the Spirit. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Simple. Walk by the Spirit. That's it. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, Paul, you're just telling me all I have to do is walk by the Spirit. Okay. If he's instructed me to do this, then it's implied that I'm able to do it. Right? Got to think about that. The next thing I want to show you are lyrics to a song that I personally love. It's a song written by, I don't know what it's written by, it's sung by Jeremy Camp, and it's entitled The Same Power. It's quite a few years old now. But the chorus says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us. He repeats it, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us. He repeats it three more times. Lives in us to finish off the chorus. Great song, if you've never heard of it. Do you think that's true? Do you believe that's true? That power, the power of God is in you? Well, do you have the ability to live a sinless life then? Now, I'm not saying that I will do it. I'm not saying that anyone can do it. There's a man-made doctrine out there called sinless perfection. Sinless perfection you believe that once you become a Christian, that you will never sin again. And I'm not saying that. Sadly, there are some people who do believe that. And that's why I say, if you come across someone who does believe that, then tell that person, well, ask your spouse. You think I never sin? Ask your parents. Ask your children. Ask people who love you. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I'm talking about something that can be called sinless provision. Sinless provision. God has provided a way for us to not sin. Now, I'm sure there's no one in this room, not publicly, say, I've, uh, I've never sinned after I became a Christian. So let's get, just get that reality out of the way. But at the same time, we have to believe that God has provided us a way to not sin. And so the question is, why do we sin? Why do we still sin? And this is where the other interesting conversations which we're having on Wednesday nights, which we're going to have on Wednesday nights, is what causes us to sin? 
And I'm not going to get too, into it too deep this morning because it's not part of the message. But some say, oh, but it's because we still have our old sinful nature. It gets in the way. But I take the words of Paul in Galatians 2.20 seriously, literally, where he says, I have been crucified. I was just talking to someone this week that says, no, that's just a figure of speech. But then we go into Romans 6, which we're looking at Wednesday nights. I have been baptized into Christ's death. That's just a figure of speech. Or have I actually died? And if I have died, what part of me has died? Obviously not my physical body. It's your old heart. That's died. That's your old spirit. That's died. And differentiate me between a spirit and a nature. And so we're going to begin to this more detail. But it's simply this. We sin because we don't do one simple instruction. We choose to sin. We decide. We choose. We make the decision that we don't think about such things in Philippians 4.8. For those that can't see that, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If anything's not those things, then don't think on it. But what do we find ourselves doing? We think on the things that aren't pure. We think on the things that aren't praiseworthy, that aren't virtuous, that aren't lovely or admirable. We make that decision ourselves. We don't do ourselves any favor when we decide to think about it. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer is found in Romans chapter 6. Believe, reckon yourselves Consider yourselves dead to sin. So if you still don't know what that means, you have a number of options. Listen to the messages that are preached on Romans 6 online, or you can come Wednesday nights and join the conversation. Now I'm going to close, just in case you're worrying. It's 11 o'clock and I've only got through one point, one truth. I'm closing on this truth. You are shaped for God's service. And the reason I can close on this is because your evidence of your maturity and faith is through service. It says there, and to equip his people for works of service. God wants us to serve. And so another problem that we do make is that we think that when I'm serving you, or serving each other. We're not serving God. It's like there's a particular way we serve God, but it's not like that. Read chapter, Matthew tw chapter 25 if that confuses you. Because he says, even if you give a glass of water to someone that needs it, you're serving God by doing that. So we serve God by serving each other. Galatians 6.10. So no one is excluded. Therefore, as we have opportunity... As we have opportunity, again, 
more, uh, when we compare ourselves in this room, we would have to agree that some of us have more opportunity than others, correct? It depends on where we are in life, whether, you know, that's just a, a gimme. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Galatians 6.10. And then you come across a verse in James chapter 2, verse 24. This one's always confusing because it says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And we equate that with Romans 5 verse 1 saying that we have peace with God and we're justified by faith only, by faith alone. And so just to help you get your head around James 2 verse 24, if you haven't done that yet in your life, we're talking about today. How can you show me that you have a faith that is mature? Even a faith. Can you just tell me that, oh, yeah, I have faith? You can, but would I believe you? I might, depends if I know you, but let's just say a stranger does it. Okay, that's good for you. How can we show each other that our faith is mature? By our works, by our service, by us helping each other. So the problem that people make is that this justification is not before God. It's before men. It's before humanity. It's before each other. Because I can justify myself to you through my good works rather than just saying, I have faith. This is not a very good motivation, though. We shouldn't be doing that just to show that, hey, I'm mature. I haven't even got a chance to talk about what our motivation should be but we won't. And so therefore, if you have opportunity, utilize this spreadsheet that we've started, the SOS spreadsheet. If you need help, reach out. If you can help, offer. And so provide feedback, please, on, on whether you can access it, whether you can edit it, whether you can um, view it, because I believe this is a, a really provide looking at the feedback that I've received from people, it's, it's, a, it's a good idea. And finally, I don't know everyone in this room, so I, I have to at least ask you, have you been justified by faith? Have you been justified before God, by God? Faith alone. And I've mentioned the gospel already. So you, you have opportunity. Today can be the day of salvation if you've never, never, made that decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can have peace with God, Romans 5.1, but it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ. I was having a great conversation with someone yesterday how they're striving to have peace in their life. And it's working, but it's not through Jesus Christ. It's through... Um, some form of Hinduism or some form of 
or of yoga. So people can, can have the sense of peace, but at the same time, I challenge them, you never will have true peace because you don't know what's going to happen to you after you die. Yes, you can have temporary peace here on earth, but true peace, true peace is when you know that you are going to be confident on judgment day. This particular person, I guess, has made up their mind, not made up their mind, we're still exploring it, um, that there's no judgment day. So that's that's fine. That's easy. Hey, get rid of judgment day. Well, I have peace. I might just be reincarnated as something else. That'll be cool. But true peace, and I know you found in Jesus Christ. Have you found true peace? Fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm over time, so I'm actually going to close the service this morning in prayer. I won't give you an opportunity to respond through singing. Sorry if I've disappointed anyone in this room. I'll ask Peter to still come up and she'll close us in some music as we're dismissed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So many times we do doubt your love for us because we look at situations in our lives and we wonder, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And Lord, there we have to we have to admit that we can't know everything. We can't know your ways because your ways are above our ways. And we look forward to exploring that further in the end of Romans 11. But for now, Father, help us trust you more. Help us love others more as an evidence for loving you. And help us to be obeying you more by setting our mind on things that you value and that you have created rather than on what the devil and man has created. So we ask for your blessing upon each and every person in this room, even for those who are listening online. May you just bless us in a mighty way, understanding that it's an earthly blessing not a spiritual one. Father, encourage us. Correct us even. Or at least help us acknowledge that, knowing that we have the choice to make, help our choices to be honourable to you as we depart our ways. Bless this time of fellowship. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us coming this morning. We have a great...